The Real Estate Sessions podcast is sponsored by AdWorks. AdWorks makes digital advertising for real estate brilliantly simple. Promote your brands, promote your listings, learn more at adworks.com. That's A-D-W-E-R-X.com, adworks.com. Welcome to the Real Estate Sessions and join industry leaders as they share their stories and offer tips and advice to real estate professionals. Now your host, Bill Rissa of Chicago Title, Arizona. Welcome to episode 35 of the Real Estate Sessions podcast. Today, I don't have a guest. Today, I want to talk about uh, a topic near and dear to my heart. Eh, and cheap joke, other parts of my body. Uh, <laughs> it's... It is March and it is Colon Cancer Awareness Month. And so today, I want to tell my story, my journey, uh, that started in the summer of 2012. And I'm actually sitting in my backyard. It's a beautiful day here in the desert. It's probably going to hit 90. Uh, It's only in the low 80s right now. And you might hear some birds and some cars and things, but uh, I'd rather do this one sitting outside. So my story starts in the summer of 2012. I'm 51 years old. I go in for my wellness visit. We used to call them physicals back in the day. And Dr. Doberson looks at my chart and says, hey, I don't see that colonoscopy I asked you to get last year. Uh, did you get it taken care of? I tell him, yeah, that must have slipped my mind, Doc. I don't know what happened. And he looks at me and says, look, I'll make you a deal. If you'll get that colonoscopy this year, I'll waive the prostate exam today. Well, that was a no-brainer. I said I would do it. And two months later, on August 20th, 2012, I was in Dr. Tesler's office, prep work done, uh, knocked out with some really cool propofol, that's an amazing drug, and had my first colonoscopy. Uh, as I was coming out of the anesthesia with my wife in the uh, prep room, uh, Dr. Tesler came in and said, we found a couple small polyps and removed them, uh, but there was this another spot that, uh, like an ulcer he called it, and he said, I took some tissue samples, we'll see if that's anything, he wasn't sure. Well, two days later, I got a phone call, I was... On the South Loop 202, getting off on Gilbert Road, phone rang. I answered. It was Dr. Tesler, and I. Uh, he said he had the results back, and I said, "Great." Uh, you know what's the, what's the story? And he said these three words. He said, uh, "It is cancer." So at that moment in time, everything changes. Uh, I think everyone handles it differently, and and I didn't uh, have a wave of nausea. I didn't uh, feel like crying. I just. I just wanted answers. What's next? What's the next step? What's the next step? What do we do? And how do we, you know, how do we take care of this? And so he was uh, real kind to me on that call. We walked through a lot of processes. Um, I had to get a CAT scan. I was going to get surgery. Did not know that was going to be mandatory, but it's mandatory if it's discovered. You're going to get surgery. Um, and then, you know, he he told me that they'll find out after surgery if I'm going to need chemotherapy. So. It gave me a good sense of where I was headed. I did mention to him that I was scheduled to take my wife on our 25th wedding anniversary trip to uh, to go see the U.S. Open, the tennis U.S. Open. My wife's a tennis fanatic, and that had been you know scheduled for a couple of months. And he quickly said, "Sure, no problem. You've got no problem. You know, go enjoy that. Let's get the scan done before you leave, and then you can uh, go on your trip, come back, and we'll talk about the surgery." And two things run through your mind at that point in time. One is are things so far gone that I have such limited time I should go enjoy the trip? Or maybe what he really meant was, 
hey, no worries, we got this under control, we caught it early, go enjoy yourself, come back, we'll take care of business. Well, fortunately, it was the second one, not the first. So now at this point, I'm still sitting in that parking lot of a McDonald's on Germain uh, and Gilbert, and I've got to make some phone calls. The first uh, was going to be my son, Kevin, who was 19 at the time, or was it going to be my wife, Cindy? I decided to start with Kevin. Uh, maybe it was a practice run. But he was very matter-of-fact. He's a, He was a freshman at uh, Arizona State University at the time, and he f was a freshman going to be uh, actually going to into a sophomore year. And he was very matter-of-fact. He said, what's next, Dad? What do we have to do? Uh, just like I was. And um, that call went very smoothly. And then I called Cindy. And when you hear her describe it, she talks about a pit in her stomach that, uh, as I said those words, but she quickly got into that same track Kevin and I were on, which was, okay, what's next? Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Um, let's not worry about something out of our control, but let's do what we're supposed to do when we're supposed to do it. And it, it really was um, kind of the our mantra for the entire process. What's the next step? Okay, let's figure out a way to get through this next step. So we have the CT scan. Um, results come back that they don't think it has spread, uh, it hasn't metastasized, and that's a good thing, but we won't really know for sure until we go for the surgery. Then we, you know, we head off on New York, we have a wonderful trip, come back, and uh, first job is to uh, start interviewing surgeons. One was recommended to us from Dr. Tesler, Dr. Buckmeyer, and this guy was amazing. We knew within seconds this was our surgeon, just straightforward, uh, no BS really a good guy. I had a series of questions. He answered all of them before I got to ask him. So he was going to be our surgeon. That was scheduled for September 21st, 2012. And uh, a few days before, uh, about the 10th, 9th or 10th, they called and said, hey, we're going to move it up to the 14th. We've got room to make this happen earlier. And that's weird because you kind of are building yourself up to a certain date and here it is, it's going to happen on the 14th. And to be honest, uh, if someone's to say, what was the toughest part of this whole um, journey for you? For me, it was surgery. I was scared to death. I don't, uh, I've never been in a hospital. I've had stitches once or twice, but um, surgery was uh, terrifying. So now we're going to get that out of the way quickly. And it did, uh, it did so. I remember checking in that morning very early on a Friday morning. Uh, the, the, the hospital's super quiet and uh, sitting with the check-in person. She's taking all of her information, uh, insurance, the like. And then going back uh, to the prep area where we had a great nurse, Alan, who was taking care of getting all of our things ready. A um, little bit of karma. We He asked if I minded if Melanie, a, an ASU nursing student, inserted my IV. And uh, being a needle-phobe like most of us, I just said yes. I just wanted some good karma. And sure enough, we had a little bit of an incident, some blood splattered on the floor, maybe a little bit on her, but, <laughs> but we got that IV in and, and away we went. So uh, surgery was about four and a half hours. My wife and son and his girlfriend, uh, some other friends were all there uh, waiting. I, I know in a blur I saw everybody somewhere, don't remember much about that. But the hospital stay ended up being until Tuesday, so went in Friday morning, left Tuesday afternoon. A um, couple interesting things for me in the hospital. One, time stands still. Uh, I remember at night thinking I'd just gone into a deep sleep, you know, it must have been hours, looking up the clock and seeing that 10 minutes had passed. That happened more times than I can remember. Uh, second, there was also the, you know, the 
phlebotomists, or as I like to call them, the vampires at the hospital, who every two hours would walk in and say, can I get a blood sample? I remember one time saying to one of them, can I say no? And the answer was, you can, but we'll just go get the nurse, and then you know what's going to happen. And I said, yeah, you're going to get your blood sample. So I got uh, one positive thing from that stay is I'm um, not near as nervous about needles as I was before. You kind of get used to it uh, as many times as you get poked and prodded uh, there. And so so that was good. Um, Dr. Buckmeyer did come in on day three. They had pulled some lymph node samples from around the colon to see if cancer had escaped the colon, which would determine it, uh, the stage. And sure enough, out of 15 lymph nodes that he harvested, nine of them had cancer cells. So the diagnosis or staging was stage 3B. Uh, the surgery went well, it cut out eight sections, of, so it's called a colon resection. Uh, eight inches of colon cut out and reconnected. And to this day, I could not tell you that I had that. Everything works just fine. Um, and um, for that, I'm always grateful to Dr. Buckmeyer for the great job he did. Um, but stage 3B means I've got to take this down another path, and that's going to be chemotherapy. So uh, via another recommendation, we met with Dr. Samit Mandansa at Ironwood Cancer Centers, and she was spectacular. Um, asked a lot of questions, was looking at all the workups and the charts and all these things, and Cindy and I will never forget when she scooted her chair very close to me and said, you know, in the exam room, she said, you are a very lucky man. Now, it doesn't sound like you want to hear that when you've just had surgery and you're looking at chemo, but the message was loud and clear. That early detection had put us into that 90% plus survival rate, which is where everyone can be if they would just get their checkups when they were supposed to. So I did um, head up to the MD Anderson Cancer Center for a second opinion just to see if something was different, but the exact same protocol that Dr. Mendonca uh, laid out for me uh, was just the same at MD Anderson. So because of Dr. Mendonca, I ended up uh, using Ironwood, and we're super happy that that's the path we chose. And so uh, we were scheduled for October 23rd or 4th to start the chemotherapy treatments. Uh, you had to heal up from surgery first. But the Friday before those started, you get a port installed, and that's just a easy access point to have the medicines infused into your body um, rather than get an IV every other week. It was very easy just to access the port with just a, a quick, you know, uh, puncture of just a little small level of skin in your chest. They were directly into a vein, and uh, highly recommend that if that's ever in your future. Get the port. It's awesome. So the first treatment, um, it was interesting. Uh, there were a couple of side effects they told me that just about everybody gets, and one of those was neuropathy. And neuropathy uh, in the chemotherapy world is an extreme sensitivity to cold, including cold drinks. So you can't drink anything cold. Um, I like drinking cold drinks. I like iced drinks, and that uh, those were gone from my life for uh, at least six months. And so I became a water drinker, and after that um, first therapy session, I tried drinking a cold drink as we got home, and there was no way. It is that fast-acting. So started drinking water, which wasn't a bad thing because I was a big caffeine drinker, you know, Diet Coke and things. So a lot of water. Um, I was attached to a party ball pump that, that came home with me after every treatment. There was one drug, FU5, which it couldn't be more appropriately named, FU5, that could only go in at 5 milliliters per hour. So this pressurized rubber ball um, would be attached to my port. I would leave with it. They gave me this really hokey fanny pack, but I ended up just using 
basketball shorts and stick them in my pocket, and that was with me for 44 hours. So I would leave at, you know, noon or 1 o'clock from the infusion center after four hours or so of infusion, <clears throat> and two days later at 9 a.m. I could go back and have that party ball removed. It became my favorite part of chemotherapy was getting that damn ball removed. Um, we tried renaming it from party ball to healing orb to make it feel better, but I hated that thing. It's just a constant reminder of what you were going through. Um, <clears throat> so on that first chemotherapy session, they removed it, I went home, <clears throat> and I didn't really, you know, I, I, I felt bad. I had a headache, I was, you know, I, I had just issues, everything hurt, um, and, and I'm like, this is not good. If this is just after one treatment, I've got 12 of these to do, one every other week for six months, I'm going to struggle. And it wasn't until Sunday night, you know, just laying there, just in pain, head killing me, laying on the couch, that I pulled up caffeine withdrawal on the computer. In the top 10 symptoms, I had all 10 at a level 10. And what had happened was, I, because I don't drink coffee or hot tea or those sorts of caffeine items, my caffeine came from diet soda, I had put myself not only through chemotherapy but through an intense withdrawal of caffeine after being a 20-plus year user, completely cold turkey on the same day that I just started chemotherapy. Found a five-hour energy drink, was able to pop that down, and within 15 minutes, I felt perfect. Almost, I can imagine, like a heroin addict looking for their next fix. That's what caffeine was to me. And so the ability to get that caffeine in my system and then the realization that, hey, the chemotherapy is not going to be that bad, but I've got to monitor this caffeine issue. Um, we were able to resolve that. My doctor was kind enough to let me uh, use the five-hour drinks, one in the morning, one in the afternoon, just to keep some level of caffeine going so I didn't have to experience that other pain. Uh, so that was something that I think if... Uh, Anyone in the future that has that, that sort of a treatment, if you're a cold caffeine drinker, beware. So those treatments occurred every other week. Um, I got to skip one week for Thanksgiving because they were shut down that weekend, uh, the Thursday, Friday that I would have been there. So skipped a week and that wasn't bad. And April 12th was the day that I had my last chemotherapy treatment. It's, it's a great day. There's a little ceremony that happens. Uh, the nurses give you a certificate. And uh, it's just a great sensation. You know, you've made it through that part. Once that's done, there's another scan done right away. And that scan showed no evidence of disease. Uh, that NED phrase becomes really important in your life. And so I'm now um, moving down, you know, in this second stage of this treatment. Uh, I'm currently in that now. It's the goal to get to the five-year mark. And I've had a scan every three months for the first year. Now the scans are every six months. Um, as I record this, uh, I have a colonoscopy in two days, which will be my second post-surgery colonoscopy to make sure that everything's looking good in there. And uh, so that's obviously colonoscopy has become a big part of my life for the rest of my life since I have this history. But really, the, the only reason that I'm here telling you this story right now on this podcast is because I had a doctor who insisted I get a colonoscopy for screening at age 51. He actually asked for it at age 50, but struck a deal with me to get me to go. Um, and with no symptoms whatsoever, they were able to discover on the earlier side cancer that's incredibly treatable. Like I said, if 
but you could discover it early. The cure rates are in the 90% range. But here's a staggering number. In 2016, it's estimated that 130,000 new cases of colon cancer will be, 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 will be diagnosed, and there will be 50,000 colon cancer deaths. That's insanity, folks. Um, if you're 50, get your screening, get your colonoscopy. If you have family history, they say it's within 10 years of when the, your, your, your family member was diagnosed. So for my son, no later than 41, he gets his first. My guess is he'll go earlier. It's just critical. And if you've got loved ones or people you know or family members, please tell them to get their screening. It's so preventable, uh, but so many people are just afraid of, you know, the, I guess you can call it trauma, <laughs> or it's just scary getting that colonoscopy. But I can tell you, the prep is not near as bad as they say. The procedure is painless because you don't, you're out. And two results occur from a colonoscopy. One, they say you look great, see you in five or ten years. Or two, they discover a problem early and save your life. It's a no-brainer. It has to be done. So when I was first diagnosed on August 22nd, when I knew I was a colon cancer patient, I didn't go private. I was very public with it. I wanted people to know. I wanted people to know that it, it's something that uh, needs to be discovered. You need to get screened. And so I was very public about it. I told, um, after my, my wife and son, I called uh, the office and talked to some of the key people at uh, Chicago Title, let them know what was coming up. I also went very public with a series of blog posts on phoenixrealestateguy.com. At the time, it was owned by Jay Thompson. Since then, he sold it. It's now Nick Bastian, Shar Rundio, and Dean Willette who run that, uh, that real estate website, blog site, you know, just an amazing place. And Jay was kind enough to let me publish a series of eight posts. It was a post a month from um, the first post being, what's it like to be told you have cancer, to my final post being, I was done with chemotherapy. Um, I've also put, I think, another kind of a summary post up there since then. But they're all available. Uh, I've had people find those posts online and reach out directly to me. There was a, a guy in California who was going to be going through the same procedure I was. Had a couple of other people in the Midwest reach out via those posts. And I'm always happy to talk to anybody that wants to discuss what's coming, um, what to expect. Now, everybody handles chemotherapy in a different way. It just depends on your body. I think it depends on your attitude and, uh, you know, how you, how you, how you head into that journey of therapy. I refuse to call it chemo. It's chemotherapy or it's therapy. <laughs> so if you have anyone that would like to talk to somebody who's been through the process, whatever part of the process they're concerned about, have them reach out to me at billrister at gmail.com. And while I have this time, I would really be remiss without going through and just thanking everybody involved in that process uh, from the people at Dr. Tesler's office that, that were so kind when they get you prepped up and, and knock you out for your colonoscopy to uh, Dr. Buckmeyer uh, and his staff and the people at Desert Sam who uh, were the surgery took place. And I, like I said, never been overnight in a hospital before, but that nursing staff, even the phlebotomist were awesome people and uh, I, I it, it just couldn't have been a better state considering why I was there and then you know from there you go to Dr. Medanza and the Ironwood Cancer Centers you know Infusion Center and Gilbert Shirley um, Linda was another and Diane these other nurses this is years ago so I'm struggling with the names but 
they really took care of a lot of people. I mean, I was able to work through my therapy sessions with a computer and a phone at my side and just, you know, get the four and a half, five hours done. But there were many people there who were in much worse situations that, um, that these nurses absolutely took care of. And so you'll, you can read more about that if you go to buildresser.com, uh, look for the My Cancer Journey link, and you can actually read those posts and share them if you'd like. So the, the medical professionals that got me through this were amazing. Um, also, a lot of people listening to this podcast right now were part of that process for me. I was very open about it socially, shared those posts whenever I could, and the outpouring of support and love and thoughts that came out of social media, to be quite honest, is, was just amazing. Uh, to this day, I still have people that when they see me, we don't see each other very often, but their first word is, how you doing? And I know what they mean. It's not the typical, hey, how you doing? It's, how are you doing? And uh, it's just amazing. I love that uh, we were able to take this community and bring it together and uh, help um, to be selfish about it, to help me through that process. And I look to return that favor whenever I can now. I also need to give a shout out to the Colon Cancer Alliance. They've been a lot of help. Their resources online are incredible. The Undie Run, of which I've been a participant a few times now, is a lot of fun and brings together this whole community of people that that share this experience together. Uh, They've been just wonderful. So for anyone that needs their assistance, their website is ccalliance.org. That's ccalliance.org. And finally, you know, my wife and son, Cindy and Kevin, holy crap, uh, they were unbelievable. The the support of my wife, you know, the just constant care, the just, well, it's, it's, I I struggle even talking about it. Um, She's just unbelievable. And Kevin, you know, going through uh, uh, this whole process with me, he's incredibly busy with school, still found time. He, he was amazing as well. So I just wanted to make sure I got those, those kind of kudos out and, and heartfelt thanks to everybody who was a part of my team to help me get through this process. So reach out. Anybody that needs any answers, questions, please give me a call. Um, you know, BillRisser at gmail.com is probably the best way to get a hold of me. And uh, next week, we're going to get back to regular Real Estate Session podcasts. Uh, Josh Coleman of My Home Group here in Phoenix is next up. And so in the meantime, remember to keep writing your own story. You've been listening to The Real Estate Sessions with Bill Risser of Chicago Title, Arizona. Please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and tell your friends about The Real Estate Sessions as new episodes are published weekly.